Sometimes the most efficient way to do something is not necessarily the most effective way to get something done. Sometimes the most efficient way to do it isn't necessarily the most effective way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, when we were traveling just after Christmas, we flew down to Texas. And our Wendy's uh, parents live in Lubbock, Texas, so that was our final destination and our goal. But you can't fly just to, shocking, this may shock you, you can't fly just to Lubbock, Texas. There's no direct Boston to Lubbock route um, that is not, I guess, uh, needed. Uh, but for us, uh, we go there, and so we have to fly through Dallas. Now, the most efficient way, the quickest way to get from Dallas to Lubbock is to take another plane, which was our desire. Uh, but it happened that uh, this was the one day that uh, anyone in Lubbock could remember uh, that they had fog on the ground in Lubbock. And if you know Lubbock, it's in West Texas, there is never fog uh, because the wind constantly blows through West Texas. All the windmills are there, and, uh, but there was fog on the ground in Lubbock, and they kept delaying our plane and delaying our plane. Finally, in the afternoon, they, uh, you know, said, okay, you know, come to the counter. We're canceling the flight to Lubbock. And, uh, and I immediately opened up my app on my phone and started booking a rental car because I thought all these people are going to start trying to drive. It's about 300 miles between Dallas and Lubbock. Uh, so, Finally booked uh, a rental car, left our luggage. Our luggage got to fly, but we had to drive. And eventually had to drive from Dallas to Lubbock, which was five hours, uh, and it was fine, and we got there. It was not the most efficient way to get between the two cities, but it was definitely in that moment the most effective way to get there. And it's true in life at times that sometimes the most efficient way to do something isn't necessarily the most effective way to get something done. How many of you have sent a text message or an email and it got misinterpreted on the other end? Just about all of us, right? It was very efficient, but not very effective, right? I mean, you realize, oh, that should have been done face-to-face. Or you didn't, get, you didn't, you know, get what I was trying to say there. Or sometimes if you're a parent who has kids and you are trying to, you know, get them, we're going to go to school, we're going to leave home, we're going to go to school, and you think the most efficient way is just, all right, let's go, time to go, get in the car, you know, that's not going to work that way, at least didn't for my kids. It was, hey, all right, in 10 minutes we got to go, get your shoes, get your jack, get your, you know, it wasn't very efficient. I had to go through all these things, sometimes bribery, sometimes whatever it took, I would get them and not the most efficient way but uh, the most effective way at times to get it done. It's true in life, and it's true in our spiritual walk too, that sometimes the things that are effective aren't always efficient. And that can grate against our Western American high value of ultra uber efficiency. But the truth is, in your spiritual walk, there are certain things that may seem very inefficient, but are very effective in growing and getting to know the Lord in your life. One of those things is prayer. And I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes this morning. And I do mean a few minutes, because here's what I think would be efficient but not effective. It would be very efficient for me to stand up and talk to you about prayer for the next 30 or 35 minutes. I don't think that would be very effective. Here's what I think would be more effective. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about prayer, and then we're going to take some time to close our service 
with prayer and in prayer and give you some space and some time to do that, okay? All right, so let's get back to our passage that we've been looking at the first few weeks here in January. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been looking at verses 3 through 11. That's the passage we're kind of using for this Clarity in 2020 series. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we're going to read that passage for you. I'm going to read it for you. It'll be on the screen if you want to turn in your Bible or grab one of the Bibles out of one of the chair racks. You'll be on about page 1018. It'll be about where 2 Peter chapter 1 is for you. Here's what the Apostle Peter says. Here's what the Word of God says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if you remember, you were with us last week. What we said is that means that everything God has called you to do, he has promised to give you the power and ability to get it done. His divine power has given you everything you need for your life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. And last week, you remember, we talked and stopped there on knowledge, and we said the one way, the main way that you gain knowledge, knowing God, is by spending time in the Scripture. And so some of you started a Bible reading plan this week. Some of you have already abandoned your Bible reading plan this week. I'm going to encourage you, get back on it. Whatever your commitment was, get back on it. If you committed to read through a certain book every, you know, every day and you missed a couple days this week, that's all right. Get up tomorrow morning or go home today, read that book. For me, it was Galatians. The month of January I'm spending in the book of Galatians. Read that through every day. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. I missed two days this week, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get back on it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and read through the book of Galatians, see what the Lord has for me. So um, whatever that is for you, uh, I encourage you to get back on that. One thing I didn't mention last week that I will encourage you, get a Bible reading buddy. That can be helpful. Uh, partner up with someone um, that you're going to read it together. That accountability can sometimes be helpful as well. So you're going to supplement faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Pray that you would help as I speak today, Lord, that what you want said would be said. Help our hearts to hear, our ears to hear, and understand what you have for us this day. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Right in the middle of this passage, you got that list of these qualities uh, and these things that Peter says that every Christian, every Christ follower is supposed to have. And he says these three words, make every effort. I want you to say those three words with me. Make every effort. Let's say it again. Make every effort. Make every effort. I say that because I think sometimes when we come to Christ as Christians, sometimes we think, well, I gave my heart to Jesus. I came and I started to follow him. I prayed the prayer. I go to church. And now the rest is up to God. And God's going to do what God's going to do. And if I'm not changed or if I'm not, my life is, you know, it's all up to God at this point. And it's true that God plays obviously a huge role in all that we become for him and all in, in who we become in him. But then there are also pastors like this that say what? What are those three words? Make every effort. That sounds like something is demanded of you and of me. Not to earn your salvation. As I said last week, the gospel is opposed to earning. You will never earn it. Jesus provides it through his sacrifice. But God does ask us to effort towards the life that he has called us to. Doesn't earn it, doesn't contribute to any, any measure of our salvation, but it is the life that we effort to live for him. And so he says, make every effort to add to your faith, your faith that you did not accomplish, but add these things to your faith, knowledge and virtue and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Add these things to your faith. And I, want, I said I want to talk about prayer this morning. You're saying, Pastor, there's no prayer in that list. Maybe I missed it, but I don't see it. Well, here's the one word I want to focus on this morning. I want to look at that word self-control. And here's how I'm getting to prayer. Flip back a couple pages to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And here's what Peter writes. Why do you need self-control? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter's saying, look, one of the things that you're supposed to make an effort is, is to have self-control in your life. But then he says in another place, and the reason you need to have self-control in your life is so that you will be able to be a person of prayer for the sake of your prayers. Because he's saying the truth is one of the reasons we may not pray, one of the reasons we lack prayer in our life is because we lack self-control in our lives. And I want to talk for these, these few minutes this morning about three things that keep us from praying. Because I think almost every one of us in this room would probably admit we don't pray as much as we should. We don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray as much as we'd like to pray. And why not? I think there's at least three things. And the first thing that I think keeps us from having the prayer lives and living consistently the way that we should, right? We said when you gain clarity of who God is, you live a consistent life. Well, a consistent life for a Christian, I would think, would be spending time in prayer. If you really believe that you and I have access to the very God of the universe, the one who created you and loves you and knows you, and then when you speak, he hears your words, because that's what it says in the Bible, then if we're going to live consistently, we would be people of prayer. But a lot of times we're not. Why not? I think one reason is because we lack self-control. And Peter says one of the reasons that uh, what you need 
for the sake of your prayers, in order to be a person of prayer, is to have self-control. Now, in his day, it might have meant a certain thing. You know, it says to be sober-minded. Those words are together. In other words, in his day, it was don't indulge uh, in alcohol to the point that you are unsober, that you are living your life in such a way that you don't have control over your mind, that you don't have control over your thinking. You lack self-control, and that's going to keep you from being a person of prayer. Now, in our day, those things might be true, too, but I think there's another challenge in our day when it comes to self-control and prayer. I think self-control and prayer in our day, the biggest challenge for us is to war against our high values of efficiency and productivity. Because we have these things that say you always have to be productive. You always have to be turning something out. You always have to be doing something. And we have this pressure on us that feels like we always have to be doing something. And it takes some self-control to push that all aside and say, I'm just going to spend time with God. I'm just going to spend time in prayer. If you don't know what I mean, then in the morning tomorrow when you get up for prayer, take out this thing, because it'll already be out, and try and find, you may have to Google it, where it is. But there is a power button on it. (laughs) Try and find the power button And hold it down until you can slide and turn it off. It's self-control. If you don't think it's hard to have self-control, try and get up tomorrow morning and wake up before your device wakes up. Try and get up tomorrow morning and spend time in the scripture before you look at any screen. And you think, that's easy. I could do it easy. I dare you. See how hard it is to do that several days in a row for those of us that have gotten so conditioned to just waking up and doing this. Self-control. I I think that idea of self-control for us in our day is to kind of war against that hyper-efficiency, that thing that does not allow us just to spend time and linger in the Lord's presence. Some of us are so hyper-scheduled, we look at our time with the Lord and we say, well, God, I can fit you in, you know, 5 to 5.15 in the morning every other Friday as long as I'm not traveling. Is that, I hope that's good with you. This is how scheduled we are, and prayer doesn't always fit into it. Lingering in God's presence doesn't always fit into it. This idea that we have to have self-control over this. We have this, this idea that we have to always be busy, always have to be producing something. So part of our self-control is to control that monster, I think, within us that wants to quickly get things over with. All right, let me get this done so I can get on to what's next. Which I think the next reason that we avoid prayer, that we don't pray, kind of piggybacks upon that. And it's the idea that we don't like inefficiency. And prayer can seem inefficient. There's no deliverable at the end of your prayer time. I mean, you don't even get to check off the box like you do with your Bible reading. You just, you, just, you just have prayed, and then you move on. But you don't necessarily have a deliverable. You don't necessarily have something. You don't have anything you've produced. You don't have anything that you can, you can put out there. This is what I've done. It's, you've prayed. And we don't, we're not comfortable with inefficiency. We're not comfortable with things that are inefficient. We're not comfortable with things that don't produce something. And so maybe we don't spend time in prayer because it doesn't, always seem like it does something. We've tried it. It doesn't seem to do anything. So we want to just be about things that do something. 
And this inefficiency maybe keeps us from praying. It's this idea of inefficiency. It's what theologian Marva Dawn calls a royal waste of time in some people's eyes. It's a waste of time, and you know, it doesn't accomplish something, but it is royal in that you are coming into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are in his presence, and so it's not really a waste of time. But from those on the outside looking in, if you spend an hour in the morning instead of checking email and just sitting in God's presence, it seems like a waste of time. It seems inefficient. And I guess it is inefficient, but it's inefficient in this way. It's inefficient in the same way it is that if you're on a drive home from work and you've worked a long day and you already are formulating on the ride home all the things you need to do that night. And, and you know, as soon as they hit that door, you've already got, you got to get dinner started. You've got to get, you know, you got to get things going. Maybe you've got a couple more emails you left the office that you got to open up that computer real quick and, and get a couple emails out. You've got, you know, maybe you've got some place you're going you got to get ready for. You've already got your list of things to go. But as you're driving home, you know that you're going to drive by the house of one of your loved ones. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, and you're going to drive by and you know that you should stop in, but you've got your list of things you need to do, but you stop in anyway, because you know you're supposed to, and you knock on the door, well, you used to, you used to do that, you can't do that anymore, right, you got to call for, you got to text, right, you can't just knock on someone's door anymore, right, you used to be able to do that, now you got to text and say, is it okay if I come by, you know, and then they say yes, and I right, I'm in the driveway, um, but you let them know, you know, you let them know you're coming. You walk in and you spend some time and you sit down and you have a cup of coffee and you waste time with them or what would be perceived as that, right? And you walk out the door an hour or two hours later and you've got no deliverable. You haven't accomplished anything. It was an inefficient use of your time. Everything you have to do, now you have to do in less time. Still on your plate. Nothing's changed, no deliverable, and yet something has changed, hasn't it? There was something valuable about that time in relationship. There was something valuable about that time in communication. And prayer is kind of like that. And you come out of it, you're not going to have some kind of thing that you've produced that you can point to, but there's something valuable that has taken place when you spent time in God's presence. There's something that's changed in you. There's something that's, that's understood in you and something different has taken place. And I can't always describe it and I can't always explain it, but I know that if we're going to live lives consistently as Christians, we have got to be people who spend time in God's presence. We have got to be people who will spend time waiting and listening to God. Sometimes we walk into God's presence and we're so convinced that what we want God to do is so much more important than what God wants us to do. And God has something for us to do, just to walk in God's presence and say, speak, your servant is listening. Just to listen. Say, God, speak to me. Your servant is listening. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard to challenge. And yet if we're going to live lives consistently as Christians, this has to be a part of who we are. So sometimes it's a lack of self-control. Peter says that which I think on the heels of that is also this idea that prayer doesn't seem efficient for us. 
But the third reason I think that sometimes we don't spend time in prayer like we should is that we don't always feel like we know how to do it. And maybe that's a hard one to admit. But I think sometimes when I talk to people, they think, well, I really don't know how to pray. I mean, I, I go into prayer and, and I, it, it, I talk for a little while, but then I don't know what to say. And I listen to other people pray, and they always seem like they know what to say. And I never know what to say. And so I just kind of don't do it. And I think that's true for some of us. You know, sometimes someone will say to me, oh, you know, how do you, how do you pray like that? Or, or what do you, and I'm like, well, I'm not even, I'm, all I'm praying is words that I've heard God say. And the truth is that God has actually given you an instruction manual on prayer. He's given you example after example after example after example of how to pray. In fact, 150 of them in the book of Psalms. Uh, All of this Bible is God's word to you, but Psalms is unique in that it's God's word for you, from people to God. It's a list of songs, but it's also a list of prayers. And it teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to talk to God in prayer. And I think many times uh, in churches, we ignore the fact that this gift that God has given to us to teach us how to pray. You know, coming into God's presence and talking to God, in some ways, it's like, sure, it's like talking to anyone else, but in some ways it isn't, right? Some ways you need to learn how to talk to God. How do I pray? And that's where the book of Psalms comes in. You know, it takes time to learn how to communicate in a language that you're not used to speaking. I, um, we've had a number of babies born in the church recently. I think four or five within the last few weeks or so. And I've gotten to see, uh, meet a few of them. See Ainsley back there, uh, and about a month old. I was with Judah this weekend. And as I've met these little babies, I will tell you, not one of them, when I come in to meet them for the first time, not one of them, they've had some nerve, not one of them, when I have come in to meet these babies, not Judah the other night when I walked in, did he sit up and say, good to see you, pastor. It's about time you showed up. How you doing? Not one of these babies has done that. And of course we don't expect them to. Why? Because they have to learn. They have to grow in their speak. But as those parents speak words to those babies, and those babies start to learn those words, they'll start to talk those words, and they'll start to speak those words back, and then you'll start to communicate in a language that both of you understand. Now, absolutely, you can walk into God's presence and you can speak just like you're speaking to your best friend, and God hears and understands and knows. In fact, even better, The scriptures say that God understands, even when you can't speak, the very sighs and groans of your body. He understands that language of prayer. But then also, I would encourage you that there is a way to learn how to pray by reading the Psalms, and we see how others have prayed in these prayers that God has included in his word. Because when I read the Psalms, I start to learn how I can pray. Because I think without that book, I think sometimes we would think, well, I can't bring that to God. 
And if you've never read the Psalms, you think, well, it's just this holy people praying and they never have difficulty and they're always, their language is, is always flowery and always. That's not it at all. You read through the book of Psalms and you hear people who are mad. You hear people who are hurting. You hear people who are doubting. You hear people who are have questions that they haven't got answers to and they're bringing them to God in prayer. You hear people who are praising. You hear people who are trusting in the midst of difficulty. But when I come to those words, I start to learn, okay, this is how I can pray. I can pray this way. I can bring these questions to God. I can start to talk to God the way that this person has talked to God because God invites me to do that. 